0: hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for tuesday august 9th 2022 on today's episode of the show we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to my name is ben pearson i'm an editor at slashfilm.com and i'm joined on today's episode by slash film editor and chief film critic chris evangelista hello chris how's it going you've been on vacation and now you're back how was your uh, your break oh it was so nice
1: and now i am back as you said and uh Life is back to being shitty again. <laughs> but but for a brief period there, I had a lot of fun. So.
0: It was glorious. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm jealous. Um, yeah, that sounds, yeah, really delightful. Um, okay, so before we get into what we've been doing and everything, uh, we have another giveaway that we're doing on, on slashhome.com, Actually, through our Twitter account, we're working with Paramount to give away, I think it's five uh, Blu-ray copies of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. So I have to read this... Um, this uh, copy from the studio. The world's favorite Blue Hedgehog is back in Sonic the Hedgehog 2, now available on uh, Blu-ray and digital. In this next level sequel, Sonic and Tails must save the world from Dr. Robotnik's evil plans. Buy Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and watch it today. Rated PG from Paramount Pictures. So I've linked to the tweet in uh, the show notes of this episode. All you have to do is go to that uh, tweet. You have to be following slash Film, and then I think you have to retweet it Uh, before August 18th. And that's it. And you could possibly win this movie. So if you've not seen this film yet, like I haven't, I can't weigh in on on the quality of this movie. Uh, But um, yeah, if you're looking for, to add Sonic 2 to your Blu-ray collection. There you go. That's a very easy way to do that. Uh, Chris, have you seen Sonic the Hedgehog 2? Absolutely not. Okay. I, I probably never will. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll have a, a Sonic marathon one day, <laughs> but uh, we'll see how that goes. Okay, so let's get into... Um, I'm very curious about what you've been reading recently, Chris.
1: Yeah, so I read Heat 2, uh, and I'll have a review Actually, by the time this podcast uh, is live, the review will be up on SlashFilm.com, So please read it. Um, and Heat Two is of course the sequel to Michael Mann's Heat, and Michael Mann wrote the book with Meg Gardner. Um, uh, you know it's unclear how much Michael Mann actually wrote and how much Meg Gardner actually wrote. Uh, you know, uh, I love Michael Mann, but I'm I'm guessing he basically dictated stuff, and and Meg Gardner did the majority of the of the. The writing, but mm-hmm. in, in any case, uh, this is a follow-up to Heat, um, which is of course the the great 1995 crime epic starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. And if you've seen Heat, you might be asking, how can there be a sequel to that? Because almost everyone died. And uh, the way it works is, um, this is both like a sequel and a prequel. Uh, the sequel part primarily follows. Uh, Val Kilmer's character, who was one of the only members of uh, the the criminal gang who made it out of the film alive, uh, as he uh, in, in the book his, his character um, heads to South America and he gets involved with other criminal stuff. But there's also um, flashbacks to the '80s where we see younger versions of De Niro and Pacino's characters. Um, they never interact in the flashbacks because the movie made it clear that that was the first time they were, they were meeting is in the movie, but Mm -hmm. uh, the stories they're involved with are um, connected in some way. I'm trying to avoid spoilers here, but by the end of the book, uh, they do a really great job of tying together like all these various threads. And I really dug it, you know, it's not as good as the movie, but you know, Oh, it feels like nothing will ever be as good as that movie. But if you're, you know, if you love the movie and you love Michael Mann's, Worlds that he creates in his films, then you definitely don't want to pass this up because it's a it's just very entertaining. It's a very brisk read. I finished it in like three days, so I I, I would recommend it.
0: Awesome, yeah. I was telling you on Slack that I don't really dig too deeply into um, books that are sort of set in in actual um, I guess worlds of that are you know created in movies. Like I'll read books about the making of things yeah. but actual sort of like in universe content I don't really spend yeah, a lot like, of time reading
1: like the 800 Star Wars books that right. are set. like I'm
0: never going to read I
1: like the Star Wars movies but I will never read one of those books
0: yeah I, I find it just uh, you know those worlds are like so expansive once you start tapping into that so I've just basically have like cordoned myself off and just you know mostly stick with the the filmed entertainment type of, of stuff but um, I like heat so much that I, I feel like I'm gonna have to sort of break my Self imposed rule and check this out. So I'm excited to read it. I think we're also, I I believe we have an interview in the works with Meg Gardner uh, coming up, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks or so. So uh, stay tuned to SlashFilm.com for that. Hopefully, we'll find out maybe a little bit more about like what the the actual workload was like in terms of the writing and stuff because I'm I'm curious about that too. But uh, in any case, Michael Mann has certainly been like out there, you know, doing his fair share of uh, of promoting the book, so he's he's definitely seems to be proud of it, and it sounds like uh, it's a, a book that's worth being proud of. So, um, okay, let's get into what we've been watching. Chris, what have you been watching recently?
1: Uh, I watched a few things on my vacation. I finally watched Lightyear, which is on Disney Plus now. And wow, what a disappointing movie that is!
0: I, <sighs> have that? I have not, and I saw that it recently came on Disney And my wife and I are in the middle of watching like a bunch of different things. And uh, I was going to bring it up this past weekend, but we just sort of it got away from us. But um, yeah, we'll get around to it, I'm sure, because we both really love the Toy Story movies, and I feel like this weird obligation to watch it, even though I'm not really super excited about yeah. it. But um, yeah, that's a bummer to hear you didn't like it.
1: Yeah, it just it felt really like pointless. I didn't think it was. Bad. it just like when it was over i was just like wow that was nothing um it's got like funny moments in it uh there's like a robot cat who steals the whole movie but it just felt really kind of just pointless like i said and i like chris evans but he is not a good voice actor he's just basically doing his own voice and occasionally he'll make it deeper to say buzz Lightyear quotes and it's like why would you change your voice to say the quotes or you just do it (laughs) like, I don't know. It just, it just felt really crappy and pointless. And you know, the whole, the whole base of the movie, uh, you know, for those who don't know is it's not Buzz Lightyear, the toy it's Buzz Lightyear, the man. And there's like a little uh, text in the beginning of the film that says like in 1995, Andy got a toy from his favorite movie. And like, that's a, that's an okay idea, but why not make this feel like a nineties movie? Like there's nothing in this that feels like it's from the nineties. There's like one gag where buzz is flying his ship and he has to blow on something like it's a Nintendo cartridge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's funny. But that's like the only <laughs> reference to like, if you're going to make that, you know, the basic setup for the movie, why they should really have leaned into making this feel like a nineties action movie. Cause that would actually be fun. But it doesn't feel like that at all. It just feels like you know something made very recently. So I don't know. It just the whole thing just felt really, I don't know, just kind of blah. And it's it's disappointing that this was what Pixar and Disney. You know, I, mean, I shouldn't blame Pixar. This is what Disney wanted to put in theaters uh, instead of you know like seeing Red or what is it, turning uh, turning red, red, yeah, which yeah. is a really I thought it was a great movie, and that got dumped on Disney Plus, and it's like. Could, Release that instead. Like, I don't know.
0: So, so. man, I wonder if they, um, if they at one point were sort of batting around the idea of making this feel like a 90s thing, but then realized that it would be strange to have, you know, 2022 technology like CG graphics for a thing that's supposed to feel 90s. And they just eventually figured, like, hey, we got to go with, you know, this is the aesthetic we have. We can't make it look. As bad as it actually looked in 1995. So maybe that sort of was uh, was on the yeah. scales that tipped it in that favor. But I don't know. I
1: get like, it. But like you could have so much fun with it. You could even like make the, the footage look like it's like VHS footage. I don't know. Yeah, just some, yeah. Like you could do so much with this idea of this is a movie from the 90s and they don't, they literally do nothing. It's just like a standard space
0: adventure. And yeah. I, don't know.
1: I just feel like they really could have leaned into that and made it more. You know,
0: you yeah. get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so Light is on Disney Plus right now for no additional cost. Um, I'm curious what you think about Thirteen Lives, Chris. I see that you've you've watched this recently, and you and I both saw um, the rescue, which was the documentary based on the the Thai cave rescue um, that happened in I think it was 2018. And I think you and I both enjoyed that movie or, or sort of appreciated aspects of it, certainly. And and Thirteen Lives is like a uh, a Hollywood version of that. So, what did you think about this movie? Yeah.
1: I thought this was okay. I thought like when it was over, I was like, well, that documentary was a lot better. Um, I like Ron Howard. I know Ron Howard gets shit on a lot or shat on a lot <laughs> as sort of like a boring filmmaker, but I, th- I think Ron Howard is a lot better than people give him credit for. He's not like amazing, but he, he gets the job done and he's made some pretty entertaining films. So I, I have no trouble with Ron Howard. I felt like this was him Trying to mimic the way Clint Eastwood directs, if that makes sense, that sort of like very uh, hands-off um, slice of life. I'm talking like modern Clint Eastwood movies, the movies he's made in the last like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like that's what this felt like to me. Um, but you know, it, it's 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 a compelling story. Everyone here is is good. I, I liked Vigo Mortensen. I liked Colin Farrell in their roles. Um, but I feel like if you've seen The Rescue. Uh, you don't really need to see this because it tells pretty much the same exact story and it does so kind of in a more interesting way. At least I thought so. What did you think, Ben?
0: I have not seen 13 lives yet, um, but but I did see The Rescue. And, and yeah, I just sort of like, it was one of those where The Rescue only came out a few months ago. It was like the end of last year. And so for this to be, I know that these projects were sort of like in the works simultaneously, but for this to come out so soon after that, it does just feel like I, I was... I I purposely didn't watch this because I wanted to wait and hear from people like you who would weigh in, who have seen both to tell me whether or not 13 lives was actually like worth it on its own terms, because if it has like terrific performances or like an incredible, you know, flourish from Ron Howard or something that it might be worth diving into. But I, since I already know the story, I just feel like there's so much other stuff that I, that I should be watching instead.
1: Yeah. It's not like a priority, but it, 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 it gets the job done. And there, there are scenes where they're like, you know, Swimming in the caves, and you know those are they're like appropriately claustrophobic and so on. I just yeah. I wouldn't like say this is a must see.
0: Okay, so um, I think the rescue is still streaming on Disney Plus. If you want to check that out, there that, that's the documentary. And then Thirteen Lives is the name of this new sort of narrativized version, and that's streaming on uh, Prime Video right now. I think for no additional cost. Yeah, I think yeah,
1: it's yeah. just there if you're a Prime member.
0: Okay, cool. And then uh, what else have you been watching, Chris?
1: Uh, I watched. A movie called Bad Day at Black Rock, which is streaming on the Criterion channel. It's part of their, they have this new, um, I don't know what they call them, but lineups or whatever. They, like they, they curate things. Yeah, little
0: collections. Them. Yeah,
1: and they're, it's called, um, I forget what it's called, but it's like noir, noir films that are in color. You know, when you think of noir, you think of black and white. But there's a lot of color noirs out there too. And this is part of that. And I had never seen this. And I had seen some people on uh, Twitter letterbox being like, this is a great movie and you should check it out. And I was like, let's do it. And, uh, they were right. This is a damn great movie. Uh, it's almost like a, a Jack Reacher movie that just happens to star Spencer Tracy. <laughs> yep. So it's, it's, you know, it's set, it's like a Western, but it's set after world war two, but it's set in this like small, uh, town in the, in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. And, uh, It seems like there are only like five or six people who live in this town. And one day Spencer Tracy shows up on a train and everyone in town is immediately like, what is this guy doing in our town? Who is he? And he's he's acting like really cool and really mysterious. And he keeps walking all over the town and everyone he encounters is like hostile towards him. And he's like, I wonder, and he's, you know, he says in this like knowing way to everyone, he's like, boy, people here are sure are friendly. And it's slowly reveal like the movie slowly reveals like why he's in town and he has an agenda and what he's doing there. But man, this was so good and stylish and Spencer Tracy, man, uh, there are times when I watch Spencer Tracy performances and I'm like, I think Spencer Tracy is like the best actor of all time. He's so natural and um his style involved like a lot of like listening and that sounds like well that can't be hard but believe it or not that's really hard in acting to to adequately make it look like you're you're literally listening to to what your other actors are saying Mm because a lot of of times you can tell that actors are like i'm just waiting for my line and he you know his performances are never like that he's he's like react he's he's not just acting he's reacting and that's that's not an easy thing to pull off. And he makes it seem so natural and smoothly. And, you know, uh, like it's, you know, just like second nature to him, which I guess it was. Cause he was such a great actor, but he's great. And like his character was injured in the war. So he, um, uh, he only has one arm, so he has uh, and But there's a scene where, like, he beats the crap out of Ernest Borgnine and he <laughs> does it with, like, one hand. And I was like, This is so cool! So he's just kicking the shit out of Ernest Borgnine with one hand. It's like such a cool, badass thing. But, uh, yeah, this was so, so good. I I like, I don't know, I, I really recommend, especially if you're looking for. Movies that were made before the 90s. So yeah. this is this is on Criterion Channel. Uh, I, I would highly recommend you check it out. It's called Bad Day at Black Rock.
0: Yeah, it's terrific, man. I watched this in April for the first time. I think I talked about it on an episode with HT and I was just like blown away by the script. I thought it was so cool the way that it sort of held its cards so close to the chest for a long time and sort of like just played with mystery in a way that modern movies don't do. There's all uh, modern movies are so like overly convoluted about everything and this is just like such a stripped down yeah. simple story but like told with like really really um masterful uses of tension and just sort of slowly uh, revealing little bits of information along the way and and yeah like you mentioned Tracy is just like so good in this. He's so different in this than you know, in the, the Catherine Hepburn comedies that he's sort of like primarily known for. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, like Spencer Tracy being the greatest actor of all time, I need more of a personal sample size to be able to weigh in properly on that. Cause I've probably seen seven Spencer Tracy movies or something. And most of them have been those comedies. This was the first thing that I'd seen him in where it wasn't one of those sort of like almost light and fluffy kind of, you know, witty repartee type of things. And I was, I was very impressed with what he did here. Do you have any other, like off the top of your head, like um, I guess, non-comedic or non-primarily comedic Spencer Tracy things that I should check out?
1: Oh, man, I feel like the ones I all know are the comedies too, but um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Judgment at Nuremberg is really good.
0: Oh, a that? man, that's been on my list for like 10 years and I just haven't gotten around to it. I think because it's like three hours long or something. Yeah, but.
1: I just, I feel like I need to like one day just sit down and watch all of his movies that's like what i felt like after watching this i was like i gotta watch more spencer tracy stuff he's so goddamn cool um but another thing i really loved about this movie is that it's surprisingly progressive for a movie made in 1955 which i was not expecting like it's very much you know about uh uh, you know racism and, and xenophobia and how characters deal with that and uh, you know, It's not like heavy handed. It's just there in the script. And I was like, oh, this is so this is not what you expect to see in a movie from 1955. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was really just fascinating, too. I was like, I'm surprised. Like, this was a movie. I'm surprised like Hollywood, the 50s was like, yeah, let's make this like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't feel like something like a studio would want to make. But it just goes to show how like this would never get made today. It, yeah. would, be, it would be like a piece of shit netflix show that's like 10 episodes when it could have been one and yeah yeah, so so yeah this, this is definitely worth checking out
0: yeah it's called bad day at black rock highly highly recommended Uh, something that I cannot give a good recommendation to Chris is the uncharted movie. um, I saw that was on
1: Netflix and I was like, maybe I'll watch it at some point, but yeah.
0: Yeah. So here's a, uh, a dirty secret that I'm going to share with you and, and all of our listeners, I suppose. Um, I've never done this in my life, but I watched this movie on 1.5 speed
1: because, (laughs)
0: um, because you can do that on the, on the desktop version of Netflix And I heard such terrible things about this movie that I was like, there's no way this is actually going to be good or that I'm going to enjoy it. I feel like I should probably watch it for work. You know, I'm guessing it performed well enough in theaters earlier this year that I'm guessing a sequel is going to happen. I actually really love the video game franchise that it's based on. I've talked about that a bunch before. Um, So I felt like I needed to see it, but I I frankly didn't respect it enough to watch it in real time. So, uh, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily recommend that it's, I guess it's a slippery slope, uh, maybe in, in certain instances. Uh, for me, this was one of those instances where I was just like, all right, I'm just going to technically watch this. Although, uh, I don't know, I guess that that opens up a whole other side debate about whether or not that actually counts as really watching something. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I love the games. Uh, This takes several set pieces uh, or or sort of, um, you know, pieces of iconography and and, uh, certainly the feel of the games and tries to, uh, the feel of the action of the games, I should specify, and tries to build a whole, you know, movie around that with Tom Holland as young Nathan Drake and Mark Wahlberg, uh, terribly, terribly cast as his, (laughs) uh, you know, older, I guess, mentor figure, Victor Sullivan. And, um, you know, I guess like, watching it trying to watch it like i guess divorced from the context of the games it's maybe like a you know a c plus passable sort of um you know modern day action adventure kind of globe trotting um like a a treasure hunt type of movie um it's not very good on those terms and then you know comparing it to the games which are really excellent and like the i think the people at naughty dog the studio that makes the games really like um Uh, pride themselves on the fact that the stories are so good as well as the gameplay and it just it it really falls flat as an adaptation um, which is unfortunate because there's so much potential there Uh, but by the time you know and they show this in the trailers, so this is not really a big spoiler but by the time you know um, ancient uh, uh, pirate ships are discovered in a a far-flung locale and then Airlifted out of a of a cave with a helicopter, and there are like action scenes with two helicopters flying next to each other, carrying two intact wooden ships, and characters are swinging and jumping from one to the other. Like maybe there's a world in which uh, that kind of thing could be okay if um, you know if it was in like uh, the Mask of Zorro, where, where like somebody um, like Martin Campbell was directing it and actually gave it a little bit of panache, but Ruben Fleischer directs this. And it's just, uh, it, it all feels so, um, just kind of forced and cheesy in, in the worst ways. So uh, Uncharted is streaming right now for on, on Netflix if you want to check it out. Um, but uh, yeah, Chris, I, no. I, I can't really say that I recommend <laughs> <Yeah>. this one. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so have you seen the movie Scandal from 1950 that uh, Akira Kurosawa directed by Niche? I have not. Okay, this is also on the Criterion uh, collection and it is, uh, or the Criterion channel, and it is, uh, it's very, very good. It's, I mean, I'm very slowly making my way through uh, Kurosawa's filmography, especially the stuff that he directed that starred uh, Toshiro Mufune, who I think there's still a collection on that uh, streaming service that has a lot of their collaborations together. And um I recently watched uh Seven Samurai for the first time, and Scandal was the, the next one I picked. And um man, it, it's just it's a very, very good movie. It's basically uh Mufune plays this artist who um comes across this uh this singer, this famous singer in Japan, and he's painting a uh I guess painting a painting of the mountains, and he ends up giving her a ride because she's missed her bus. And they end up staying at the same hotel. And he goes into her uh, hotel room. He, like, knocks on the door. She answers. He goes in just to talk to her for a second. And some uh, paparazzi realize that this this woman who has just entered this hotel is a famous singer. And they basically take a photo of the two of these people on a balcony outside and it turns into this huge scandal in the country where it seems like these two are together and, and um, you know, everything, all this improper behavior is happening and they're trying to keep this secret affair in place and everything. And uh, the whole movie just sort of spirals out of that miscommunication. And it's a, um, a condemnation of like paparazzi quote-unquote journalism you know like tabloid magazine culture basically um and it's just uh it's it's kind of actually depressing to think about this this happening in 1950 because it feels very modern in that way like it definitely feels like you know um that the the same basic bones of the story could absolutely work today um and and be you know transplanted into the social media era but um but yeah, with, I mean, this has been happening for 60 plus years, uh, at least, accounting, according to this movie, and probably there are movies before this that dealt with the same thing. Um, so yeah, on one hand, it's depressing. On the other hand, it's just really enjoyable to watch uh, a really great movie with solid performances and, and you know, uh, somebody... A film from a master filmmaker like Kurosawa. So, uh, if you're interested in checking out Scandal, definitely recommend that one. Um, Chris, I'm also slowly making my way through Stanley Kubrick's filmography for the first time, and I um, have I've watched Full Metal Jacket for the first time. That is also streaming on Netflix right now. I assume you've seen this, probably. Yes. Okay so uh this movie is divided in half basically kind of the first 45 50 minutes are are this boot camp um uh, where it just really drops you into the action uh of this this platoon of marines in a boot camp uh with um what is his name uh r lee Ermey as mm-hmm. the uh, the drill instructor and even if you've never seen this movie his performance has probably permeated out into pop culture enough where you maybe absorb some of that through osmosis um one thing i did not absorb through osmosis was how great everybody else in this movie is matthew modine is in this he's like one of the if not the lead character um vincent d'onofrio plays uh, one of the characters who's just constantly belittled and shat on by that drill instructor in the first half and um Adam Baldwin from Firefly pops up in the in the last portion of the movie, I was really not expecting to see him for some reason. He just did not strike me as an actor who was operating in movies like this in 1987 when this film came out. So, uh, that was a a really sort of bizarre surprise, but, um, yeah, man. I, I mean, I, what do you? What else are you supposed to say about a Stanley Kubrick movie like thirty years after it came out? But uh, it's great. What do what you? What are your full metal jacket thoughts?
1: Yeah, I like this a lot. It's not my favorite Kubrick because I feel like the first half is stronger than the second. But yeah, I've I've always um, loved uh, the the performances, especially in this movie, are great. It's just a very um, it's hard to watch it's a hard to watch a uh, movie a lot of comic yeah. movies are like that but i f- even though i think i like i just said the first half of the movie is better it's also sometimes it's just hard to sit through everyone mocking and, and beating poor Vincent d'onofrio until yeah. he goes insane uh, but but yeah i mean this is you know that Stanley Kubrick, he makes good movies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. The, the back half of the movie, um, or maybe, maybe not the half, the full back half, but definitely like the last uh, set piece, there's like a sniper sequence where these characters are, are sort of pinned down and this extended sequence happens. And watching that now I'm like, Oh, I see where so much, Uh, you know, how influential that scene was because there are so many movies that have come out since then that feel indebted to the way that that was filmed, the blocking, the, the tension of it, um, everything about it. you know, it was, I was kind of blown away by like, Oh wow. It's almost like finding a, a Rosetta stone kind of thing and, and just, um, you know making having this realization of like all the stuff that came afterwards, so uh, yeah, definitely worth your time. As a although, Chris, as Chris said, you know, a little bit of a tough watch at times, so that's full metal jacket. And then, um, <laughs> okay, so I, I watched Joe versus the Volcano for the first time. Um, I, I had no idea what this movie was about, I'd heard of it, of course, because. It is the movie where Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan work together for the first time before they got into Sleepless in Seattle and you've got mail and the the sort of classic 90s rom-coms that they're really known for. Um, Have you ever seen Joe vs. the Volcano, Chris?
1: I have, and I really enjoy it specifically for Meg Ryan's performance. Oh my God.
0: She's incredible in this. Yes. <laughs> like
1: I, I obviously knew Meg Ryan can be funny and I think Meg Ryan is a good actor, but I've never seen her do anything like this where she's doing multiple characters and doing all these voices. And it actually made me sad. I was like, we missed out on like wacky Meg. Ryan. Yes. Like why didn't we get a bunch of movies where Meg Ryan is doing silly voices and stuff? Cause she's so good at it.
0: Yeah, man, I was I was blown away by this. Um, I'll actually say the first like fifteen minutes, I was close to turning it off because yeah, it's, it's really weird and they're like yeah, yeah, it is it is rough to start because it's it's set in this hyper stylized world where Tom Hanks plays this sort of everyman character who works at this factory and it is just like um they the filmmakers have turned up the dial on making this the worst place in the world, like everybody is dressed exactly the same. Everybody trudges into work the same way every day uh the- The office space where everybody works is like there's no windows in the building they're making you know like um rectal probes and just like the worst stuff in the world and it's just they they really make it make you feel like this is a terrible place and he sort of has this. Um, medical diagnosis where I, I cannot believe that I didn't know what the premise of this movie was but the basic idea of this <laughs> is he gets this medical diagnosis where he is supposed to die within five or six months and then a rich guy comes out of nowhere and says hey you're going to die anyway why don't you uh, I'll pay you to live the life of a wealthy person for, you know, a few days basically. And then you sail out to this Island and uh, sacrifice yourself to this, uh, this God on this tiny Pacific Island by hurling yourself into a, an active volcano. And that's the, <laughs> that's the premise of the movie. So like, it's just uh, Tom Hanks being like, okay, yeah, I'm going to die anyway. So I guess I'll do this. And he, just, you know, there, there's like the actually it reminded me a little bit of like Pretty Woman, like there's that sequence where she goes into the the dressing room or, you know, there's like that the montage of like trying yeah. on all the clothes and everything. It's, Tom Hanks sort of has that moment in this where he's like buying a new suit and like, you know, just buying all this uh, rich guy stuff and just sort of having a blast with that. And he has this fun relationship with his driver. <laughs> and then He slowly meets these multiple women played by Meg Ryan all along the way. A couple of them are related to each other. And then he, the two, two version, you know, one version of, uh, or there's only one version of Tom Hanks, but Tom Hanks and one version of Meg Ryan sail out to this Island together. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to spoil what happens in it, but it's, it's like the tone in this movie is just all over this, all over the place but in a really enjoyable way. And afterwards, I was like, who the hell made this? And it was John Patrick Shanley, the director of, uh, or I guess the writer of um, Moonstruck. And he also uh, wrote and directed Wild Mountain Time. And so that makes a lot of sense to me now, seeing this, like these three movies definitely share DNA of being like incredibly strange in their own uh, sort of (laughs) delightful way. And, you know, there are parts where you're like, what the hell am I watching? But then you come away from it being like, you know, this is actually pretty great. So um, yeah, especially the the Meg Ryan of it all. It, it's really uh, incredible to watch. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if, I guess if anybody else out there has heard of this movie, but didn't really know what it was, I encourage you to sort of take the dive and, and check this out because it's uh, it's a weird one, but it's definitely worth your time. Um, Chris, do you have a, a favorite Meg Ryan character? Do you remember she plays the three characters in the beginning? Uh, Man, or I guess throughout. I don't know. I, I
1: really just loved every single version of Meg Ryan we got in this. And like I like I said, I just I was like, why did no one ever maybe they did and I just haven't seen it, but I, I just don't understand why Meg Ryan didn't do parts like this again, were like extremely wacky parts. Like she she did comedies obviously for her, most of her career, but mm. She, I, I just, I honestly didn't know she had this in her. And I was just like, I want more of this Meg Ryan. So Meg Ryan, please come out of retirement or whatever you're doing right now and do more more, more silly stuff please
0: yeah the first voice the first character that she played I was like this kind of looks like Meg Ryan but it can't be her it's somebody else and it actually is her because it's just so she's she's got like this New York accent and it's so unlike anything I've seen her do and then the second persona of hers is my favorite and she is playing this sort of like Daddy's rich girl in Los Angeles, and she refers to herself as a Liberty gibbet, which I thought was hilarious and uh man yeah the the third one is a little bit more is like the most um I guess traditional of the bunch, but uh yeah, um, bow down before Meg Ryan because she's incredible in this movie. So Joe versus the Volcano is streaming on HBO Max right now. And I think that's going to do it for the uh, for today's episode of the show. I'm going to link to Chris's review of Heat 2. So I encourage everybody to go check that out. And you can find more about the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of today's episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to uh, peter at slashfilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and read the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. This is the story of the one.